there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. We're going to be reading several scriptures. Um, this is a continuation of the sermon series that I began um, two Sundays ago, Growing Deeper. And uh, the first Sunday when I began, uh, we looked at the call to discipleship. Last Sunday, we looked at the characteristics of a disciple. And um, today, by the grace of God, we are going to be looking at the cost of discipleship. Somebody say the cost of discipleship. And so we're going to be reading three scriptures. Uh, the first one is in Luke chapter 9. I want us to go to Luke chapter 9 from verse 57 to verse 62. Luke chapter number 9, verse 57 to 62. Put one finger there, you're left with 9. And then rush over to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to verse 27. Put one finger there, you're left with how many? Left with 8 and 10 toes. Uh, go to Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Those are the scriptures we are going to be reading this morning. Let's begin with uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9. If you're there, you say Amen. Uh, some pages are still flipping. I will wait. Is everybody there? Oh, good. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57, the Bible says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me fast. Somebody shout fast. Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first, somebody shout first again. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jump over to chapter 14 of the same book of Luke. Uh, chapter 14. We're going to be reading from verse 25. If you're there, you say amen. If you're not here there, you say wait. So everybody's there. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife. Now when I reached there where they have mentioned wife, I said, Lord have mercy. And children and brothers and sisters. Now it is getting now worse. 
Yes. And even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Is it only my Bible? Huh? Is your Bible saying the same? So are we on the same page so far? Oh, I'm safe. Praise the Lord. Um, let's jump over to verse 33 of the same Luke chapter 14. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, has, all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Look at your neighbor, tell them the word is sweet. Mm. Can we stop the reading or we continue? It's becoming very tough. Can we continue? Okay, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verse 34. Are you there, somebody? Now the Bible says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and do what? And follow me. Verse 35. All of us read it. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and to bless you for this morning. Thank you for the word that we have read. I pray, O oh God, that as your servant you use me to speak your word in a way that the church will understand what you want to communicate even this morning. I pray for fresh anointing upon my life. I pray for eloquence. I pray for diction. I pray for the right word to use even as I explain in detail your word so that the church may understand that there is a cost to discipleship. Open their ears to hear. Enlighten their understanding to understand. Even as we break this living word together. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus name we pray. Shout another better amen. Please be seated. Some time back, I heard a story. I don't know if it is true or not, but I heard a story that I want to share with you. And uh, this story went like this, that uh, there was a church somewhere in the village where believers were meeting for prayer and fellowship. And they were really, really singing and praying, clapping their hands and just having fun in church. And then in the midst of their singing, some soldiers came into that church. And they challenged the believers. Of course, they had guns, uh, grenades, and they were dressed like people who were just ready for war. And they asked believers, how many here believe in God? 
And everybody lifted up his or her hand. And then one of the soldiers grabbed a brother who was spiritual. And he went with him outside for about a few minutes. While he was outside, the story uh, says that uh, this soldier actually uh, took a chicken and slaughtered a chicken. After slaughtering the chicken, he smeared the blood of the chicken on the knife. And so he came back to the church without the brother, but with a knife that has been smeared with the blood. He lifted up the knife again and he said, How many here believe in God? I'm telling you, before he could finish the statement, Guys were taking cover and nobody really stood up for Jesus. And that soldier turned to the pastor. I think the pastor was the only one who was left. Because everybody decided to run away. Because they knew our brother has been killed. He turned to the pastor and he told the pastor, Pastor, we are also born again. We wanted to show you how many members you have. So as far as the soldiers were concerned, the pastor didn't have a church. When it came to paying the price for standing for Jesus, everybody took off. I'm trying to imagine if the same scenario replicated itself in our churches today. How many people will stand and say, if it means dying, I will die, but I will not deny Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and ask them, will you pass the test? You see, many people, or rather many believers, they are spellbound by Jesus when it comes to what he offers. When they think of his compassion, when they think of his healing ministry, when they ponder his blessings, they are fascinated by Jesus. As long as he provides what they desire, they are obliged to follow him. As long as there is something that they are getting from Jesus Christ, they will follow him, they will serve him, and they will commit their lives unto him. However, Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for us to bring a balance to Christianity, we need to understand that we also have a contribution to make. There are demands involved in following Jesus Christ. It is not a one-sided relationship. Yes, Jesus is giving unto us, Yes, Jesus is providing unto us everything that we need. But we need to realize that also us, we have a part to play. And that is to stand for Jesus Christ. There are demands that we need to fulfill. Statutory obligations requiring our commitment and devotion wholeheartedly. So to be a nominal Christian is not enough. A Christian just on paper 
real Christianity must translate into authentic discipleship. It requires unflinching commitment from our side to the obligatory ideals and requirements of Christianity regardless of the cost that we must pay. We have to come to a place where we say, I will go all the way, regardless of the cost. We have to come to a place and say, I will commit my life and stand for Jesus Christ, regardless of what it will cost in my life. I will stand for Jesus Christ. No wonder somebody sang and he says, stand up, stand up. For Jesus Christ, you soldiers of the cross. This is a message that has not been preached so much in our generation. But this morning I have the audacity to tell you that there is a cost to pay when it comes to following Jesus. Are you here somebody? A genuine Christian is a true disciple who understands that there is a cost to pay in following Jesus Christ. There is a price tag attached to the process of discipleship. It won't just be a cheap affair. Only what we get from Jesus Christ. But it will cost you as a sister in Christ, as a brother in Christ, as a disciple of Jesus. It will cost you to be able to follow Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9 that we have read already, we see one major hindrance to discipleship. The Bible says in verse 59 that Jesus said to one man, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And to another he also said, and another one also said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, these two people had an excuse. The first man demonstrates unwillingness to follow Christ because of a task he has to fulfill. He said, Jesus, thank you for the invitation to follow you, but let me first. Somebody shout first. That was not a shout. Somebody shout first. He said, let me first do this. I don't mind following, but let me first do this thing. Let me first go and bury my father, and then I will come and follow you. I have something else that I have to attend to before I follow you. There is something else that is a priority to me right now. You are not the priority. This particular thing is a priority. I have to attend to it first, and then I will follow you. So he delayed becoming a disciple because he claimed to have commitments to his parents. He said after they were dead 
or after the father was dead and he has buried him, then he will follow Jesus. Can I tell you that the father was still alive? At that particular point, the father was still alive. Because if the father was dead, he could not be in a crusade. He could be in a funeral committee somewhere, planning for the burial of his father. Oh, am I preaching in this house today? So this man was saying, Jesus, I want to go back and wait until the day my father will die. I will keep on counting. When are you dying? You know, I need to go and follow Jesus. Two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years, twenty years. And I've realized there are people, if you wait for them to die, you're going to wait for a long time. Mm. Some husbands wait for their wives to die. Oh, she's going to be there for a long, long, long. Maybe you'll even die before her. Mm. He says, I will wait until my father dies. Then after he dies, I bury him. And then I will come and follow you, Jesus. You see, social obligations are not to be ignored. But they must never, somebody shout never. They must never deny us a chance to be followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you should not take care of the responsibilities that God has given unto you. But those responsibilities should never deny you a chance to follow Jesus Christ. The second man sought for permission to delay following Christ. It was very hard for him to leave his family. He said, Jesus, I will follow you, but let me fast. Somebody shout fast again. Uh, that fast is showing up again. He said, let me first go and, 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 and bid them farewell. Let me go and just tell them goodbye. Uh, let me go and, and, and just maybe organize a farewell party so that we can sit down. Or maybe let me just go so that we can have a family meeting. And sit down and discuss. And uh, look at the pros and the cons uh, of following you. Let me bounce it off uh, uh, to the family members. Let them advise me if I should follow you. Or I should not follow you. Uh, let us organize a come together as a family. Uh, maybe maybe slaughter a goat. Uh, uh, buy some sodas, you know, Jewish, you know. And maybe bring a cook uh, in the name, by the name Sitati, to come and cook the food. And uh, let us have, let us, let us, let us have a family meeting first. Then Jesus, I'll get back to you. Let me first go and bid my family farewell. He prioritized a farewell party over discipleship program. He wanted to go and talk to the family first before he decides if he, he will follow Jesus Christ or not. Can I tell you that when God called me, I didn't ask for permission from anyone. When God called me, I went and I told my father, thank you so much for everything that you have done for me. But it's time for me to follow the call of God upon my life. By the way, my father wanted me to be a banker. Can you imagine me a banker? Ooh, dealing with money. He wanted me to be a banker. He even brought some forms for me to go to college so that I may become a banker. I told him, thank you so much, sir. But God has called me. I want to go to a Bible school. 
I want to go and sit down and learn. I want to go and be trained because I believe God wants to use me to be a blessing to this generation. You must really appreciate God for me saying yes to the call of God. Because if I never said yes and agreed with what my father said, some of you could not have been here today. Oh, Jesus, you're not even getting it. Hmm. I had to say yes to God and no to man. So this man had a reasonable and a proper request, but even the common courtesies of life must not interfere with complete dedication to the cause of Christ. You see, Christ challenged them to put him first above what they considered a priority in their lives. But they responded with a perfect excuse why they could not. Jesus required discipleship from them, but they came up with an excuse to untangle themselves from any commitment to Christ. In other words, they were not ready to sacrifice their social obligations for Jesus. They were not ready to sacrifice their family ties for the sake of Jesus Christ. They were not willing to pay the price of following the call of Jesus Christ upon their lives. You see, many of us, when it comes to following Christ, we have excuses. We look like these two people. God, I know you want me to do this, but wait. Let me first do this. God, I know you want me to serve, but wait. I need to do this. And that is one of the major, major hindrances to the, to the process rather of discipleship. Because people have all manner of excuses for not obeying Christ. Some of us, we can even come to church for years and God is telling you, give me your life. And you say, God, wait. It is not yet time. Let me first go and enjoy life. Actually, you're not enjoying life. It is life which is enjoying you. God is calling you. I want you to join a department and serve me. Oh, God, wait. I don't have time. I need to get time. When I get time, I will be able to serve you. So we have all manner of excuses. God, when I get a car, you will see me in the Tuesday prayer meeting. Hello. Am I talking to somebody in this house? God, if you increase my salary, I will start tithing. It's an excuse. We all have all manner of excuses when it comes to paying the price of discipleship. And all our excuses, they sound reasonable. But I want you to know they are not approved by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus looked at this man and he said, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back his feet for the kingdom of God. That means when you put your hands on the plow, there is no way you're supposed to look back. Because when you look back, then you have cut short the process of discipleship. Do I have people in this house who are getting what I'm saying? So authentic discipleship has a price tag attached to it. You must be willing. You must be ready to be able to count the cost. 
You have to be willing to count the cost for you to be able to follow Jesus Christ because it involves a responsibility on our part as well. So let me just take you through the cost of discipleship. Number one, what is the cost of discipleship? What is it that pastor is talking about this morning? Number one, the cost of discipleship, number one, is the loss of our old identity. The loss of our old identity. You see, letting go of the old life is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing struggle. It is a fight that a disciple must engage in and purpose to win. We are all aware of the old adage, old habits, die hard. That means after you are born again, it does not mean that you will not feel tempted. It does not mean that everything will just be fine. Whatever you used to you know, struggle with, it will just drop. It doesn't mean that when you get saved, everything will just be uh, uh, okay for you. You will find yourself struggling with the things that you used to do. The, the, the craving will be there. Do I have real people in this house? Uh, the pool will be alluring and, they are, and, and appealing to your carnal nature. You, you will feel like there is a pool towards the things of the old. Sometimes you will even feel like calling your old friends and hanging out with them. Uh, sometimes you'll feel like drinking what you used to drink. Oh, you're so holy this morning. Uh, sometimes you'll feel like sniffing what you used to sniff and you feel iry. Uh, do I have real people in this house? Uh, so, so sometimes you'll feel like you're being pulled to the things that you used to do in the past. Uh, you will grapple with recurrent nasty and shameful past, enticements from the past, old friends, past activities. But you must refuse that old nature by all means. In other words, you might say, you must say, Regardless of how I feel, regardless of the pool, regardless of what is appealing, I have made up my mind that I'm not going back. Mm. Do I have real people in this house? I mean, I feel like picking that phone and calling that guy so that we can revive our relationship. But I am born again. Regardless of how I'm feeling, I will not pick that phone. I will just look at it. Or even if they call and it is ringing, and I know the number even off head after deleting, I will not pick that phone. It is appealing, it is pulling you, but you're willing to sacrifice the old identity. It is a cost that you must pay. Ah. Oh. Because sometimes it can be very, very tempting. When you're at your lowest, that's when the devil comes in. When you're feeling lonely, that's when the devil comes in. When you're feeling discouraged, that's when the devil uh, comes in. And you feel like you just need to yield to the suggestion that the devil is bringing into your mind. But you make up your mind and you say, I am not going back. Hallelujah. That is the cost you pay. I am not going back. I am not going to drink. 
I am not going to smoke. I am not going to sleep around. I am not going to lie. I am not going to join that group again. I am not going to those places again. Even though my flesh is pulling me. But my will is stronger than my flesh. And so I have made up my mind. I am not going back. The loss of old identity. Do I have real people in this house today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You will feel it. You will be tempted. You will feel that that thing is really pulling you. But the moment you say, hey, the moment you say, I am not going back, let me tell you, it loses its power over you. Even the thoughts will come. But the moment you say, regardless of how I'm feeling, I can't dispute the fact that I'm feeling like this. But regardless of how I'm feeling, I am not going back. The moment you say that, you paralyze that thought. It is a cost of discipleship. Please help me preach and tell your neighbor, I am not going back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at somebody else and tell them, please, let's not go back. Oh, Jesus said, after you put your hand on the plow, you don't look back. We need to move forward with Jesus Christ. We need to continue forward with Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I might not feel new, but all things have become new. The thoughts in my mind might not look or sound new, but all things have become new. You are a new creature as far as God is Concern. Somebody shout again, I am not going back. Oh, I feel like as you are shouting like that, you are breaking some things out of your life. Shout again, I am not going back. Uh, that is not a shout. Shout it again, I am not going back. Yes, yes, you are not going back to the world. Shout it again, I am not going back. In fact, let me just tell you, when you start feeling like that, just shout, even if it is in your car, even if it is in your bathroom, even if it is in your... Just shout, I am not going back. Even if people think you're crazy, you, you know what you're doing. You're disconnecting yourself from everything that will pull you back in the name of Jesus. Shout it one more time. I am not going back. Hmm. The loss of our old identity. Number two, the cost of discipleship is the sacrifice of personal freedom. Is the sacrifice of personal freedom. As a time I heard somebody say, it is my body. I can do whatever I like with it. It is my body. I can do whatever I like with it. Some people say, it is my money. I can spend it the way I want. Some say it is my gift, it is my talent. I can use it the way I want and the way I feel. But you see, for a true disciple, your language changes. Even if it is your body, even if it is your money, even if it is your gift or your talent, your language has to change. Why? Because you know that everything that you have, you don't own. You're simply a steward. The money that you have, you don't own it. You're just a steward. 
Who is the owner of that money? It is God. The body that God has given unto you, that nice, beautiful body that you like, you fall in love with it every morning when you look at the mirror. It is not yours. You are given by God. The voice that you have, the gifts that you have, the talents that you have, if you are a true disciple, then you understand that my language has to change. I can't just use what God has given unto me the way I want. Because it is not mine in the, in the first place. It belongs to God. So I have to submit my life to Christ so that I do what God wants me to do with my body, with my talents, and even with my money. It is the cost of discipleship where you sacrifice personal freedom. Let me take you back, memory lane. Before you got saved, you were rioters. You were reckless. You said whatever you needed to say. Anything that came in your mind, you said it without even regretting. You could abuse people. You could go anywhere you wanted to do. You could sleep with anybody you wanted to sleep with. And you don't even feel anything. You wake up in the morning, you take a shower and you go to work. And it is okay. You are reckless. Oh, the church is quiet. Ooh, can I preach like I feel it? But after you get saved, you cannot continue like that. Tell your neighbor, you cannot continue like that. Somebody say, no, 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 no. no. You cannot. Why? Because when you get saved, then what happens? You submit your life to Jesus Christ. You relinquish ownership of your life to Jesus Christ. And so everything that you do, you have to double check with God to make sure if it is right. If God does not approve it, even if you feel like doing it, you don't do it. Even if it is appealing, if God says no, it remains to be a no even for you. Because you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ. You see, God respects your will. The devil also respects your will. Whatever you choose, God will let it have the day. So if you choose God, God will come in. If you choose the devil, the devil will come in. But now, when you get saved, what you need to do, you submit your desires, you submit your will to the will of the Father so that your choices can agree with the will of God concerning your life. The cost of discipleship. So a disciple must submit or subject his will to the will of God. So that every choice, every thought, every imagination, every move that he makes tallies with God's will for his or her life. So instead of saying it is my body, I can do with it the way I want, you say my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ah! I'm preaching good this morning. Alright? So you don't just say it is mine. I can do with it the way I want. You, re re you, you, you recognize that your body is the temple. And because it is the temple. Then God expects holiness. God expects righteousness. God expects worship. Out of your body. As a living sacrifice. Before him. Why? Because the love for God. Begins to constrain you. The fear of God constrains you. The spirit of God constrains you. So that you don't just do 
what you feel like doing, but you do what God wants you to do. Can I get an amen? You see, there is a higher calling on the life of Christ's disciples that constrains them from doing what appeals to their selfish desires. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. You see, there is the yoke of sin, but also Christ has a yoke. So when we get saved, we untangle ourselves from the yoke of sin. But at the same, same time, we wear the yoke of Christ. So that you begin to go where Christ is going. Because when you are yoked with Christ, a yoke will put you together to constrain you from being derailed. So where Christ goes, you go. Where Christ will lodge, you lodge. What you hear Christ saying, that is what you say. He says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is what? It is easy. And my burden is what? It is light. So you can't just do what you want. You have to do what God approves in your life. The cost of discipleship is the sacrifice of personal freedom. Does it mean that you're not free? No, you are free. You are free from sin. You are free from condemnation. You are free from guilt. You are free from poverty. You are free from sickness. You are free from failure. But you are not free to do anything that appeals to your carnal nature. Because you have the yoke of Jesus Christ upon you. In Mark chapter 8, the Bible says, Whoever desire, desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Somebody say, deny myself. Yeah, you have to deny yourself. There are things which are very good. They are very nice. They are appealing. But you deny yourself. Hallelujah. You see, I've realized that not, what appeals to you is not what appeals to me. Are you getting what I'm saying? Like, like for, let me just give you an example. Like for me, uh, I don't think drinking is a temptation for me. It is not. But to someone it is. Me it is not because I cannot even stand the smell. Leave alone testing. In fact, I wonder those who drink what they get out of that bottle. I can't stand the smell. It has a pungent smell. And you find people. I can't understand. I can't stand it. Just the smell. I can't stand it. But to some people, it is a real temptation. So what appeals to you might not be what appeals to me. And that's why you have to come to a place and realize, this thing that is appealing to me, does God approve it? Does God accept it? Is, is God in it? If God is not in it, even if it is appealing to you, you're willing to sacrifice your personal freedom for the sake of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can I get a better amen in this house? Can I get a powerful amen in this house? So he says, you deny yourself. Fasting is not easy. You're denying yourself. 
It's not easy. You're denying yourself when you say, I am not going to eat for a week. It is not easy. I mean, you'll just be seeing people, you know, crushing chicken. You're just saying, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, deliver your servant from this temptation. I mean, you're seeing people eating all over. But you can't eat. Why? You're denying yourself for the sake of who? For the sake of Jesus Christ. So that is the cost of discipleship. And if you are not fasting, I want to challenge you to start fasting. Because it's part, it's part of the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me go to number three. The cost of discipleship is learning to hate. Quote and unquote. To hate. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 27. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Maybe I need to read it again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and uh, wife, Still came out. Wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, uh, this is a shocking demand. I mean, Jesus wants to be in a place where your love to him cannot be challenged by any other love. Are you getting what I'm saying? Your love to him cannot be challenged by any other life, love. rather. You see, a believer will have his loyalty to Christ tested by those in the family who disagree with his stand. Some will be disowned by their own families. Some will go through tribulation because of saying, I love Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes a tug of war develops where a family member puts pressure on us to back off or even abandon our love for Jesus Christ. I've heard of stories, real stories of people who are told, if you confess Jesus, we disown you as a family. If you don't come and practice our tradition, we disown you as a family. If you don't marry the wife of your brother, Can I speak this morning? We disown you as a family. If you don't bring that chicken and we slaughter it on the grave of our great, 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 great ancestors and make enchantments and connect with their spirits, we disown you as a family. I am willing to be disowned for the sake of Jesus Christ. I will not participate in their traditions. I will not marry my brother's wife even if he died. May God take care of her. I will stand for Jesus Christ. I'm goodness, I am preaching very powerful things this morning. I will not participate in those things. That's why you find sometimes brothers disappear from the church. After sometimes they come back. You ask them, where were you? You know, we had to go home. Um, you know, you know things of home, pastor. Those things, you know them. 
which things those things you know slaughtering the dead they shaved our hair you know we slept outside in a skin you know you know pastor these things we have to appease the ancestors and you are a believer you can't do that some even take their children to be circumcised at home because they don't believe if you are circumcised in the hospital it has been done some believe the foreskin will come back how so you take your child at home they sing those funny songs immoral songs the elders talk to your son and they inject demons in your son they tell your son now you have become a man now you have an instrument you need to do some testing every door that is open is yours Then all of a sudden, your son is in love with every scat. Because you decided not to pay the cost of discipleship. You need to say no. You need to stand and say, me, I'm born again. Oh, and because I'm born again, my family will not participate in this. Because I'm born again, my children will not participate in this. Because I'm born again, I will not do these things in Jesus' name. And you stand. One of the things I appreciate uh, about my parents, our, our parents were very, very strong on that. I remember when our, our grandmother died, and all of a sudden, our relatives came and said, we need to shave your, your children. We need to shave them. We need to shave them. You know, they have lost their grandmother. We need to shave them. My mother said, they are not being shaved. And you are a believer. Say, yes, just shave. Shave. You know it is in the family. Just shave. You don't know why they are shaving. It's a cost of discipleship. You have to say no. Hey, the church is quiet today. Oh, we are, we are going to Mount Kenya because in Mount Kenya there are ten commandments. Who told you? It's a cost. That you have to pay when it comes to following Jesus. Jesus said if you don't hate them. And I will explain to you what Jesus meant by the word hate. If you don't hate them for my sake you cannot be my disciples. Praise the Lord. You see the word hate as used by Jesus does not mean dislike. Does not mean displeasure. It doesn't mean to detest or to despise or to scorn our families. It simply means that our affection to family members must take a second place to the Lord Jesus Christ. No concern about family ties must ever be allowed to cause us to deviate from full obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Loyalty to the master must override even the closest family ties. That means when it comes to Jesus, let them know that you are committed to him and you are willing to let go of any family tie. Oh, are you ready for this? This is bones. This is not milk. This is bones. I want, you guys, I want to give you real solid meat so that you cannot be shaken by anything. Yeah. You will go to that home and stand and say, as long as I am here, 
Jesus has to be represented. As long as I'm in this place, there are things that I will not allow in this home because I am a child of God and I stand for God. Mm. That means even if you're a, 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 a wife and your husband is not born again, let your husband know that you love Jesus so much. Let your husband know. Let your husband know you love Jesus so much and he, he should just do you a favor by allowing you to go to church. Because if he doesn't do that, you're beginning to doubt if he really loves you. It's powerful. Tell your neighbor, that's powerful preaching. Because Jesus said, I am the one who should be number one in your life. Now let me show you another scripture, very powerful. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 37. He who loves father or mother, son or daughter, more than me, is not worthy of me. Somebody shout more. In other words, when it comes to loving our parents, I will love my wife. Please don't, don't, don't misinterpret. I love my wife. I love her with all my kidneys, liver, joints, bones, marrow, everything. But when it comes to Christ, my love for Christ should supersede my love for her. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? That means when it comes to Christ, Christ has to be number one. But if I change the order, then there will be problems. Jesus said, if you change the order, then you cannot be my disciple. Because our God is a jealous God. God cannot share you with anybody. That's why he will give you a wife, yes. But he says, even that wife, when it comes to me, I am still number one in your life. Because the Bible says a good wife comes from the Lord. That means if my wife will wake up on Sunday morning and tell me, you're not going to preach, I stop you. I will tell her, I am going, whether you give me permission or not. Please don't try. Because it won't work. <laughs> Jesus said, if you love son or daughter, you love father or mother more than me, then you are not worthy of me. Church, we need to come to a place where our love for God cannot be challenged by any other love. Our commitment to God cannot be challenged by any other commitment. So the cost of discipleship therefore means loving the Savior so much that all other loves are hatred by comparison. I remember there is a lady when I was a praise and worship leader as a lady, we went somewhere to do a crusade. Um, we used to do crusades those days. We'd go out, you know, take a horn speaker, uh, a keyboard, a guitar. You sing, 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 sing. When people gather, you grab the microphone and preach. Before they know it, they are saved. It was pop, pop, pop. And this lady got saved in one of our crusades. And so she, she, she went back home with this good news to the father. And she told the father, hey, guess what? I am born again. The father said, what? What? And the father was a traditionalist. He, he, he told her, choose two things. Your tradition, which you know, and your salvation. If you choose salvation, there is no roof for you here. If you choose our tradition, then I'll accept you. She told the father, I choose salvation. 
the father kicked her out of the house. I remember that she, she even came to church. She was crying. And she was saying, I've been kicked out. What am I going to do? In, in fact, for me, I thought I should just tell her, why don't you just go home and talk to her? She said, my father will kill me. He will kill me. I literally had to run. He will kill me. So we prayed for her and we encouraged her. And then we told her, now what you need to do, maybe you need to look for a job and uh, just ask God to help you. It was a very difficult and a dicey situation. Because you don't even know where she's going to sleep. What she's going to eat. But God knew. <laughs> we were limited, but God was not limited. And all of a sudden, she got a job to be able to serve another missionary. And she started serving that missionary. Before long, her brother got saved. Now, she joined the worship team. She was so illiterate. She didn't even know how to speak English. She joined the worship team. So when we sang English songs, she was just, you know, moving her mouth. And people thought she was singing, but actually she was not. As we knew what was going on. Because she was not learned. But after some time, she started speaking English. She could even greet me and say, how are you? I say, fine. I say, that's what I learned today in Swahili. So she kept on learning and learning. And before long, she started speaking English. She joined the Bible school where I was teaching. And I taught her. She graduated. <laughs> when I think about that late sometimes, I feel like shedding tears. She graduated. The last time I checked, she's married to a pastor. They have a vibrant church. And she's blessed with a wonderful family. What is it that God cannot do? When you stand for God, God will stand up for you. And I want to guarantee you, I know that God has started a good thing in that home. Even the father will give his life to Christ. You have to learn to hate, to stand for God, and to say no to anything that will threaten your commitment to Jesus Christ. Number four, the cost of discipleship is carrying your cross. Carrying your cross. There's a song I used to hear a long time ago. Siku hiyo inaku yeah. You remember that song? It is true. You have to carry. You have to carry your own cross. Now the cross which Jesus talks about in this text is opposition. It is suffering that, will that you will encounter because of your relationship with Christ. It is the reproach and the contempt we shall receive from others because of our profession of faith. Carrying the cross therefore means to voluntarily and decisively accept the pain, shame, and persecution that are going to be one's particular lot because of his loyalty to Christ and his cause. Let me tell you, this is not a very popular message. 
but I have to preach it. I knew today I'll not get so many amens, but it's fine. At the end of the day, I'll tell God I've done your will. <laughs> you have to carry your cross and follow Jesus. It's a cost of discipleship. People will laugh at you because of salvation. It is okay. People will even gossip you because of your salvation. It is okay. It is a cross you are carrying for Jesus Christ. Our allegiance to Christ will be ridiculed, will be scorned, and even laughed at. We shall be mocked. We shall be ostracized. We shall be discriminated. But be of good cheer. Because it is a cross which we must be willing to carry for the sake of Jesus Christ. I was looking at Jesus Christ in the spirit, the way he was carrying his cross, going to Golgotha. Let me tell you, it was shameful. It was painful. People were mocking at Jesus Christ. People were laughing at Jesus Christ. Even when he was on the cross, some people were saying uh, he was saving others. Uh, let him save himself. Uh, guys were laughing. Uh, and even the people that Jesus blessed, they were not there to stand for him. Uh, the people that Jesus healed, they didn't even stand there just to protect him. Uh, the people that he raised from the dead were not there to defend him. Uh, even his disciples, the ones who saved Jesus, uh, even if you go to prison, we will go with you. We will die with you. But when it came to carrying the cross, Jesus was by himself. Thank God for another man who helped him. But he was not beaten the way Jesus was beaten. He was not scorned. He was not stretched wide and hung high the way Jesus was hung high and, 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 and stretched word. He was not half naked like Jesus. Jesus had to carry his own cross. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was laughed at. They even spit on him. And he took it all in without retaliation. I came to tell you, church, it is okay for you to carry your own cross for Jesus Christ. It is okay when people laugh at you because you are carrying the Bible. It's okay. It is okay when you introduce yourself and say, I'm so and so and I'm born again. And people begin to laugh. It is okay. It is a cross that you must be willing to carry. Oh, let them say that you're wasting time going to church. It is okay. Let them say that we should have been in Kitengela eating some nyama choma and you are just in church singing. It is okay. It is okay. It is fine. I want you to understand that it is a cross that you are carrying. Because everyone, every man, every woman, you must, to carry, you must carry your own cross. John chapter 14, verse, uh, Luke chapter 14, rather, verse 27, Jesus said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So that means we must cheerfully receive and patiently bear every affliction and evil, however shameful and painful it may be for the sake of Jesus Christ. When they beat you because of Jesus, be of good cheer. Oh, when they dis discriminate you because of Jesus, be of good cheer. When they connive against you because of Jesus Christ, be of good cheer. When they persecute you because of Jesus Christ, be of good cheer. Because you know that your reward is eternal.
You know that your reward, my goodness, I feel like preaching. You know that your reward is a tunnel. And sometimes God has to allow those things to come your way so that he can see where you're standing. And when you prove to God that you're willing to go through the pain, you're willing to go through the shame, you're willing to go through the mocking for his sake, God will come through for you and he will release a reward upon your life. Oh! have to stand for Jesus Christ. Let them laugh. But I want you to know you will have the last laugh. Let them mock. But I want you to know you will be the one celebrating when they are down there. Let them do whatever they need to do. It is okay. Somebody shout it is okay. Even if you are beaten because of Jesus Christ, it is okay. Even if you are discriminated because of Jesus Christ, it is okay. I came to rise or to raise a church that has a spine. That regardless of what they will face, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the mocking, regardless of the beating, regardless of what will happen to them, they will still say, I love Jesus. They will still say, I will serve Jesus. They will still say, I will give my life to Jesus. Because I know that his reward is eternal. Mm. Mm. Not running away. Stand for Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 13 verse 13. The Bible says, and you will be hated. Who will be hated? Hypocrites? No. Who will be hated? Lukewarm Christians? No. Who will be hated? The true disciples of, of Jesus Christ. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures until the end shall be saved. I came to tell you it is time for you to endure. I came to tell you it is time for you to carry the cross. I came to tell you it's time for you to go through the process of discipleship. Let them do what they need to do. Let them plan against you. Let them strategize against you. Let the devil throw his best shot. But my Bible tells me if I endure until the end, I shall be saved. If I stand for Jesus until the end, I shall be saved. If I carry my cross until the end, I shall be saved. Because I want you to know, next Sunday I have another series. Because I'll be talking to you about the compensation of a disciple. After you've lost everything, God will come through for you and surprise you with blessings. Ah, carry your cross. It is just for a moment. The pain is just for a moment. The persecution is just for a moment. Oh, there is a day that is coming that God will flex his muscles and show himself strong on your behalf. Hmm. Am I preaching to somebody in this house? Hmm. Number five. Number five. Is my last one. Mm. Thank you, sir. The cost of discipleship is forsaking all. Forsaking all. The final words of this subject today are very sobering. It leaves us with food for thought. Jesus said that no one can become his disciple if he does not forsake 
all that he has. Forsake all. For my sake, you can forsake all. For my sake, you can forsake all. That means if I call you and I tell you, strip yourself and leave everything behind and take a step towards me, you will do so. For your sake, I'm willing to leave everything behind. For your sake, I'm willing to leave prestige behind. For your sake, I am willing to leave power behind. For your sake, I am willing to leave finances behind. For your sake, I am willing to leave cars and land and houses behind. For your sake, if you call me and tell me, leave everything behind, you will be willing to be able to do so. Let me ask you for, if Jesus asked you to leave everything behind for him, will you do so? If Jesus Christ told you today, leave everything behind for my sake, will you be willing, will you be ready to be able to do so? You see, material things compete with our allegiance to God. That's why in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, the Bible says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and then you serve money. You can't have two masters at the same time. Wealth or material things have the propensity of taking God's place in our lives. Money, fame, prestige, power, all these things can become a God in your life. My wife was sharing with me a story of a man she met and that man was telling my wife, if, if, if I don't have money, I'd rather die. Because to him, money is everything. I cannot be, that's what, that's what he was saying, I cannot be broke. If I don't have money, I have to get it. I have to get it. To that man, money is a God. Without money, there is no life. And some people even kill for money. Are we in Kenya? Some people kill for money. Money. Money has become a driving force. Everybody is rushing to money. As you're driving, money. Walking, money. Everything, money. Here in Nairobi, money. Everywhere, money. Money. It has become a god. If you don't have money, even if you have a point, it is not a point. Am I, I'm being real. I'm trying to be real today. Am, am I saying the truth? You will stand and speak. After you speak, the people ask, what, what does he have? Because money has become everything. Without money, you don't have a voice. And I'm not saying money is bad. It has its place. But if money takes the place of God, you are not a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's why we can even be in church and money is still your God. That the real God can ask you to give him that money you refuse. Because it is your God. You are not willing to forsake. Because it is your God. So you say, if I give this, how will I eat? So you money because you are my God. I will serve you. Bow to you. I honor you. 
and look for you day and night. My devotion is to you. Forget to pray, but I cannot forget looking for you. Oh, money. How I miss you. Where have you been? You know, it's long since I held a thousand notes. You're here. Praise the Lord. I love you, money. You're awesome. When I have you, I can drive. Even without God, if I have you, I can buy a house. Oh, money. Sweet money. That's how some people are. Now, when Jesus challenges this person to leave the money and follow him, they will not. The Bible talks about a young rich ruler who came to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I've obeyed all your commandments. All of them. Jesus said, okay, do this. You want to follow me? Sell everything you have and come and follow me. Uh, the Bible says that the guy left with a sad countenance. Why? Because to him, money was I worship you. Jesus said, if you're not willing to forsake all for my sake, you're not my disciple. Why am I sharing with you this? I'm sharing with you this is because God will test you when it comes to your wealth. God will test you when it comes to money because God knows money is powerful. Money has the ability of becoming a God in your life. Hear me. Hear me, somebody. Money, wealth, riches has the ability of taking the place of God in your life. Because the Bible says money answers all things. Yes. If you have money, you buy a house in Runda without sweating, without a loan. Hmm. How much? Take the check. Go and bank it now. Money. So if you're not careful, money can take the place of God. Wealth can take the place of God. And so God will test you just to make sure you're balanced. To know where you're standing. Abraham had waited for a child for years. Then after he got, God said, I want that child. I have a feeling after Abraham got the child, he shifted his focus. He started thinking about Isaac all the time. Oh, where's my child of promise? Where is he? The last time he was seen was around that bush. Please go and check. It was about Isaac. Isaac. Everything. Has Isaac eaten? Was he full? No, I have to double check. Isaac! Isaac! Have you eaten? Really? Did you have a dessert? Really? How about a mango? Really? Will you drink water, Isaac? Just drink. Everything was Isaac. Then God says, okay. I want to know where your heart is. I want that son. I want that son. Because I want to know if you love that son more than you love me or you love me more than your son. Abraham passed the test. He said, God, you want, you, you, want, you want my son? Have my son. And when you look at that story, it is not that God wanted to kill Isaac. Mm -mm. When God is asking you to forsake all, he's not saying that be poor. No. God is not saying walk naked. 
so that people may know you have forsaken all. You're not even dressing. You're just naked. You're coming to, hey, why are you not dressing? Pastor said, we forsake all. We forsake all. So I'm not even wearing shoes. I'm forsaking all. You give your house. You give your car. What God wants to know, where is your allegiance? Because a test is coming. Can somebody say amen? As I finish, I just want to show you. There's a time we bought a plot, my wife and I. We bought a plot. And uh, after we just finished the payment, God spoke. Say, so give that plot to the church. It was like a knife cutting across my heart. Heart. I can't even say it. Painful. You know, because now we were thinking of building like a small house where, you know, my wife and I can just live to the and our total. You know what I mean? Yeah, behind there, maybe we can put uh, a small shade for zero grazing, you know. God said, give it. Give it to the church. We discussed with my wife and we decided to give it to the church. It was not easy. But we gave it to the church. Some of you are looking at me wondering. A plot. 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 I. Pastor. Who advised you? <laughs> but God had spoken. That's why I'm telling you, you will be tested. Because God wants to see where is your allegiance. So we gave it. The last time we were there, we were so blessed to realize that the church used the plot to build um, Sunday school, children's church, Sunday school block. And the children are going there to be taught the word of God. I told my wife, as long as we are living, we will never lack when it comes to buying land. Because our seed is speaking. In fact, because of that seed, our church, this church will get land. This church will get pro property. Oh, that a man is so weak. Because our seed is speaking. Even the house we wanted to build, by the time, by, by, right now when I look at it, it is God who saved us. Because it was a funny house. It's only my wife and I, who knows? <laughs> Can I tell them? <laughs> okay, she said I should not say. Okay, moving on swiftly. <laughs> it was a test. And you have to pass the test. Because God wants to know, are you willing to forsake all? Because of when you understand this, then you know everything that you have. If God asks it, you asks it, you just give it. You just give it. Because you don't want, we don't want to allow money to take the place of God in your life. Alright? And the reason why God is asking is not because God wants to take it away from you. He wants to see where you are standing. And when he's sure of where you are standing, then he elevates you. Because Isaac was not dead. He didn't die. Isaac did not die, by the way. And I have a feeling that our land is not gone. Our land is coming, baby. Oh, it's coming back, baby. Are you ready for it, baby? It's coming back. Why are you feeling shy? 
So I, I, I you get what I'm saying? Uh, I, in fact, I, I even remember there's a time God blessed us with two cars. As soon as I got the second one, God spoke to me, give out one of the cars. And I knew my wife needed a car. In fact, I, I was so happy after getting the second car because I was saying, now my wife will not bother me. Take me to the market. Mm. When you're going, oh, I forgot to buy some tomatoes. Reverse. Okay, what else have you forgotten? Nothing. Ah, we didn't buy meat. Ah, we turn again. So I was so glad that God has delivered me from that thing. But God said, give it. It was not easy for us. But I did it. And I blessed. I sold my car to someone. Just to tell God that you are still God in my life. I have no other God. The car is not my God. The land is not my God. You are the God that I serve. I can let these things go because I know you can bring them back. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over. Hallelujah. Are you getting me? And so my wife is driving very soon. Her own car. So that that prayer of mine can be answered. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So in short, I'm trying to show you that as a disciple, there is a cost of following Jesus Christ. If you're in this church, if you're in this church, be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? You should not struggle with tithe. Tithe, 10% of what God has given. Don't struggle with it. Give it to God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Don't struggle with it. Don't even debate. Five, six, mm -mm. give it to God. Because what, what are you telling God? You're telling God that the money is not important. You are important. You're sending a message to God. You're telling God, God, you are important. More than the money, more than everything that I have. As I finish, the Bible says in Mark that he who tries to lose, to save rather, his life will do what? Will lose it. And he who loses his life for the sake of my name and the gospels will do what? Will find it. So in other words, we only have one viable choice. And that is to embrace the cost of discipleship. Where we say, I'm losing my life for the sake of Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And as you do so, then there will be eternal rewards coming your way. Live alone just eternal life. Even here, God is going to bless you. And if you want to know how God is going to bless you, be here next Sunday. And I will finish by speaking to you on the compensation of discipleship. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazutechero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.